One of the exemplars of bodhisattva practice is called Samantabhadra, which means universal goodness. or universal virtue. And so we, we say on a regular basis, Samantabhadra, Bodhisattva of great practice. There's a painting of, uh, of this bodhisattva. There's many paintings of this bodhisattva and statues of this bodhisattva. But when one painting uh, of the bodhisattva, the bodhisattva is sitting in a chair on the earth with some attendants. And next to the bodhisattva, is an elephant, a white elephant. I don't remember if the elephant has six tusks. Anyway, it's a white elephant, you know, and it's a big, it's a big one, not well, not a little one. And the elephant is getting washed. So Samantabhadra has brought her elephant to the to the car wash. <laughs> And Samantabhadra is sitting. If I, I, it's hard to get a close-up, it's just it's. I can't see the face very well. It's small, but anyway, it's usually pictures of Samantabhadra. Samantabhadra is has a subtle smile, not not very often laughing with the mouth open, but smiling serenely while the elephant's getting a wash. After elephants washed and dried, Samantapadra might get back up and on top, where it usually is. Samantapadra is usually on top of an elephant. <laughs> Samantapadra is a joyful elephant rider. He rides the bodhisattva practice. And uh, yesterday it came up to bring up some vows that Samantabhadra made at the end of the Great Flower Adornment Scripture. In English, the Flower Adornment Scripture is about 2,000 pages. And at the end are these 10, 10 vows and 10 practices. 10 vows to, to live these 10 practices. But before uh, I get into the ten, I wanted to prepare you by some remarks. One is that uh, I hope that Rice doesn't find this boring, because he's heard so much about these ten vows. They were one of the themes of the practice period where he wishes so. And in that practice period, we tried to coordinate the ten vows of Samantapadra with all of the forms of our of our 
kind of training program. Like we have a schedule that we try to attend with, with the great assembly. We have formal meals. We have formal sittings. We have formal ceremonies. We have formal interviews. And all these forms are opportunities to remember these ten vows. And remembering these ten vows helps us be wholehearted and, you know, really thorough, thoroughly engage these, for example, sitting. So let's just take sitting for an example. So yesterday I talked about sitting, for example. Do you remember? And we have this practice called just sitting. But just sitting means when you're sitting, you're just sitting. You're like, (laughs) as I was talking to somebody today, they said, this person was sitting and he said, I am providing a place Sitting here, I am pr- providing a place for intimate transmission. So when you sit, you're sitting, your, your physical posture is offering a place for the intimate transmission of the mind of Buddha. And you're not... <laughs> When you're intimately transmitted with Buddha, you're not looking for some other transmission. It's not like, well, this is a nice transmission, but I wonder if they have anything better than this. (laughs) Or what's next? (laughs) I mean, this is great, but what's next? So when when we're involved in this practice of sitting, we don't look for some realization in addition to the sitting. The sitting is the realization of the mind of Buddha. Okay, here we are sitting, but isn't there some mind of Buddha beyond the sitting? One of our ancestors named Tetsu Gikai, who is the, um, he's the fourth of the Japanese ancestors. Ehei Dogen Daiyosho. Kōnejo Daiyosho, Tetsugikai Daiyosho. He's the third of the first four. And he's the third of the first five also. (laughs) Anyway, he did not believe Dogen. He, He was Dogen's student and he he loved Dogen so much, but he didn't believe Dogen. <laughs> he didn't believe Dogen who said, when you sit, do not expect some realization in addition to your sitting. When you're practicing here, do not expect some realization beyond the practice. There is no realization beyond the practice. Dogen taught him that. And he didn't believe... He had Dogen right in his face and he didn't believe it. And Dogen loved him and he loved Dogen and Dogen said, you will eventually believe this. (laughs) But so far you don't. 
and he referred to this, really believing this, as grandmother mind. Grandmother mind is you take care of the practice expecting nothing more than the practice, expecting no great peace and liberation in addition to the practice. The practice is freedom and the practice is awakening. Dogen taught him that and he didn't believe it. He didn't say, I don't believe you, but Dogen could tell he didn't believe it. And he was a great student. I mean, he, he's the third Japanese ancestor. And Dogen praised him. He said, you know, you're just the greatest. But you don't have grandmother mind. You're just the best. And you, three times he told him that. And after Dogen died, Tetsugikai confessed to his elder brother, Kohen Ejo. When our late master was alive, I didn't believe him. That the Buddha way is none other than our daily life. It's none other than our sitting and our cooking meals and our walking together and our eating together. It's nothing other than that. I didn't believe it. I thought it must be something greater than just what we're doing. It's great, but it's not other. Anyway, that's just sitting. You're sitting and you're not looking for anything beyond the sitting. You're wholehearted. So these ten vows are ways you can picture what it's like when Samantabhadra sits. Samantapada doesn't sit and think, well, where's the enlightenment? (laughs) Okay, I got the elephant. Where's the enlightenment? (laughs) Samantapada is busy being wholehearted. And so these practices, uh, these ten practices are things that Samantabhadra would do or vows to do when sitting. So one of the things I, I appreciate these 10 practices, but kind of the heart of them for me is that when he says the practice and he said, this practice, practice number one, practice number two, practice number six, these practices, I will, I will give my, all my activity in all my actions of thinking, of speaking, and gesturing, they will all be, uh, in all those cases, I will practice these ten practices. And for example, when I'm sitting, I'll do these ten practices. But these ten practices are not in addition to the sitting. But they're given for us to understand what it's like to be just wholehearted about what you're doing. And when to be wholehearted about what you're doing, I cannot be wholehearted by myself. I'm wholehearted about my sitting as an intimate communion. So these vows are about communion. There are ways that Samantabhadra is in communion while sitting 
while walking, while bowing, while eating, while washing elephants. And when you hear these ten, you might think, how can I do ten practices while I'm sitting? Especially these practices. And when I, you know, it seems like, I thought we were just sitting. What about, why are we doing ten practices in 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 addition? No, no, they're not in addition. They're, they're, They're what it's like when you really wholeheartedly sit. They're not in addition. If you're not, in a way, excuse me for saying so, but maybe if you're not doing these ten practices, you're not really wholeheartedly sitting. Some people try to wholeheartedly sit, but nobody can wholeheartedly sit by themselves. You can only wholeheartedly sit in communion. Everybody needs to be involved in your sitting for it to be wholehearted. And before you're sitting, by the way, everybody already is involved in whatever you're doing. Whatever you're experiencing is always, always living in this intimate communion. There's no experience other than that. I do not make any of my experiences. You do not make any of my experiences. You and I together don't make any of our experiences. And my experiences are not without causes and conditions. This is the first verse of Nagarjuna's fundamental verses on the middle way. There's no experience that makes itself, that's made by another, that's made by both, that's made by no causes. All experiences come from intimate communion. Being made, by, being made by others is not intimate communion. Being made by both is not even intimate. Intimate communion is more intimate than that. Every experience is the whole universe in transmission with the whole universe manifesting as an experience. And so again, when I tell you these ten, you might feel like, give me, not too much. But uh, I also thought, when we give Zazen instruction, we give like seven points, seven basic points of posture. Some people might do three, some people might do nine. But anyway, basically seven. And, when, you, and when, I, when I used to give Zazen instruction, I used to say, well, that's a lot of points to check while you're sitting. And, you know, it might be hard for you to remember all seven while you're sitting. But, but you can learn to remember all seven. At first you go like, okay, number one, sit upright. Number two, uh, don't lean forward or backwards. Don't lean right or left. Straighten the back of your neck. Keep your eyes open. Put the tongue on the roof of your mouth. Close your mouth gently. Make, this, make the cosmic mudra and place it 
near your abdomen, below your navel, and so on. I, and I, so I say, would say to people, so if you try to remember these points when you're sitting, you may notice, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting upright, I'm not leaning forward or backwards, but my eyes are shut. Okay, well, my eyes are open, but my lips are, are open. My lips and eyes and tongue are the roof of the mouth, but now I'm leaning. I'm not leaning, but now my mudras come apart. Now my mudras together. So it's hard to learn to do all, all of these different points. But after a while, you just sit down and you're practicing all seven, or whatever it is. But you maybe get there by going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever. So in the learning process, you maybe forget some of them. But gradually you learn to take care of your posture, and taking care of your posture means you're aware. And you're getting feedback from your body to not lean forward or backwards, right or left. And that's a, there's great subtlety to that. To find upright posture. As you, as you know, it's, it takes a lot of work to find it. And when you find it, that means the posture is where you're really comfortable. And then again, to, to do all this at once, we can learn, but it takes a while. So to do all ten of these, we can learn, but it may take a while for you to be able to do all ten when you raise your hand. All ten when you look at something. All ten when you say hello. Or turn it the other way. To make whatever you're doing an expression of all ten. Which means to make whatever you're doing expressing the Buddha mind seal. So these vows give us a picture of what the Buddha mind seal is like. And again, whatever we're doing is an opportunity or it could be a place for the enactment of the intimate transmission of the ten practices of Samantabhadra, the intimate transmission of Buddha mind. So here we go. I'll just do all ten for starters, okay? Number one, pay, pay homage to all Buddhas, which means, you know, to worship. And worship means to acknowledge in your heart and your body and your mind the virtues of Buddhas. And one way to, the main formal way of doing that with your body is to prostrate. So you don't have to prostrate. You can pay homage standing also, and you can pay homage sitting, and you can pay homage walking. So as you know, people often circumambulate Buddhas. If you look in the early scriptures, people walk around the Buddha and then sit in front of the Buddha and say, Good morning, teacher. (laughs) So you can walk as an act of homage. You can bow as an act of homage. You can say good morning as an act of homage. That's the first practice is homage to all Buddhas. 
And then it goes, you know. Ready? Number one, homage to all Buddhists. You want to say it? That's Samantha first practice. And Samantha vows to do that practice, commits to do it. Number two, praise all Buddhas. What's number, what's number two? Praise all Buddhas. By the way, when you said that, you tra- your body and mind were transformed in the direction of wholeheartedness. Number three, make offerings to all Buddhas. Make offerings to all Buddhas. Number four, reveal and disclose, confess and repent our shortcomings. Reveal and disclose, confess and repent our shortcomings. That's number four. Number five, rejoice in the merits of others. Rejoice in the merits of others. Or maybe let's change it. Rejoice in the merits. Rejoice in the merits. Of Buddhas. Of Buddhas. But it's not other. Number six. Request the Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma. Request the Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma. Request all Buddhas to reveal, to, to turn the wheel of Dharma. Request all Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma. Request all Buddhas to remain in the world. Request all Buddhas to remain in the world. Number eight, to engage in all the practices of Buddhas. Engage in all the practices of Buddhas. Number nine, to accommodate and serve all sentient beings. Accommodate and serve all sentient beings. Number 10, dedicate the merit of all these practices to the welfare and liberation of all beings. I'll show you. Dedicate the merit of all this to all living beings. So at the beginning, we're making all these gestures towards all Buddhas, and then that those gestures towards all Buddhas, plus all the other practices, it all goes to all sentient. The merit of all of it, the goodness of all of it, the virtue of all of it, goes to sentient beings. So we 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 pay homage to Buddhas, but in the end, we pay homage to Buddhas to create goodness and we give that goodness to all sentient beings those are the ten and the part I'm trying to that I want to emphasize is to to try to imagine how to do one of them 
not to mention all of them, in whatever you're doing. So again, for example, we spend quite a bit of time when we're together sitting. So when we're sitting, this sitting, without you just sitting in your usual way, one could think, I'm, I'm sitting here, or this sitting is ha- this sitting is homage to all Buddhas. I'm sit- they're sitting here, and this sitting isn't something that I'm doing by myself. This sitting is an act of homage to all Buddhas. And I imagine that all Buddhas are very happy for you to be using the posture of a Buddha to pay homage to a Buddha. You can also pay homage, of course, when you're prostrated. That's the traditional way to pay homage. But you can make your sitting a prostration. Just by wishing it, I wish this to be a prostration. I wish this to be an alignment. I wish this to be an appreciation of Buddhas. This sitting. This is an example of what it's like to sit wholeheartedly. That you don't just sit for yourself, and you also don't just sit for all sentient beings. You sit for yourself, you sit for all sentient beings, and also you sit as an act of homage. And you pay the and you make the act of homage for the welfare of all sentient beings. Because the merit of paying homage to Buddha, you're gonna give to all sentient beings. So your homage is for them. But it's but it is homage to the Buddhas. And we also have a, vow, a traditional vowing verse, and it's it's in the Soto Zen book, but it's also from Chinese Buddhism, which is when bowing we can understand this verse. The, the one bowing, the one bowed to, their nature, no nature. Or one bowing, one bowed to, their nature, emptiness. This body, the other body, not to. Plunge into the inexhaustible vow. Realize the unsurpassed way. This is a, a verse about how to make pay homage to Buddhas when you're bowing. But you can also, when you're sitting, this body and that body. Not two. This sitting and this and that which I'm sitting for. Same nature. And then, for all the other activities, like bowing, when you're bowing, you're paying homage. That's pretty clear. But, again, when you're walking, you can walk as an act of homage. Once again, circumambulating, again, is clearly homage to Buddhas. But also when you're walking around in the room here, and when you're walking outside, you can learn to remember the posture of wholeheartedness is that what you're doing is paying homage to all Buddhas. And then, 
again, sitting is an easy one because one of the ways I praise Buddhas who are really into sitting is I, I praise them by doing what they do. I love to practice what my great teacher practices. So my sitting is praise of the great sitter and the great sitters and the great cities. We can also, of course, we, we don't do this so much in the West, but in, in Japanese, Chinese, and Korean monasteries, they actually, on a regular basis, chant what's called the, the Jewel Crown Dharani, which is full of praise for the Buddhas. We don't do that. We're not ready for that, I guess. <laughs> but they do this elaborate praise of Buddhas. We don't have to do that chant. We can just make our sitting and our life together. We can make everything we're doing an act of praise. The next comes, what's the next one? Offering. Make offerings to all Buddhas. Now, again, in the sutra, they go into detail about what all Buddhas means. Like, big numbers of Buddhas. They get into the huge, huge numbers of Buddhas and making offerings to all of them. And also, uh, and, then, and then again, by all my actions of daily life to make offerings to Buddha. Of course, you make offerings by offering incense, by offering flowers, by offering candles, by offering food. But all all my actions are offerings to Buddhas. So it lists the various things you can offer, but then it, the punchline is, whatever you're doing, make that an offering to Buddha. So again, if you happen to be sitting, make your sitting an offering to Buddha. If you're wholehearted, your sitting is an offering to all Buddhas. That's the most appropriate way to sit, as an offering to Buddhas, is wholehearted. Right? To sit as an offering, to sit half-heartedly, isn't the offering you want to offer to Buddhas, is it? <laughs> no. I want, to, I want the sitting to be a place for wholehearted offering to all Buddhas. So you can just start with those three for, during this rest of the session. Just see if every time you sit, you can remember to sit. And then, by the way, this sitting is, is homage to Buddhas. This sitting is praise of Buddhas. This sitting is an offering to all Buddhas. And Dogen's teacher, Ru Jing, told Dogen, when you sit, I don't know if he said think it, but anyway, when you, when you sit, make your sitting an offering to Buddhas. Ru Jing told Dogen that. But that's right out of the sutra. That's Samantabhadras. When Samantabhadra sits, she makes that a gift, an offering to all Buddhas. And then if by any chance <laughs> one forgets to make our sitting an homage, a praise, and an offering, if you forget, if you sit down and 
slip into like some egocentric view of sitting. Well, that's kind of, what do you call it? You could say that's short-changing Buddha. Or that's short-changing wholeheartedness. It's like shirking the responsibility of being Samantabhadra by overlooking some of Samantabhadra's practices. I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot to keep my eyes open. I forgot to make the mudra. I forgot to make my sitting an act of homage. That's the fourth practices, is to acknowledge that I was half-hearted. Now again, we're more used to like noticing that we're half-hearted. Samantapadra's vows help us realize different dimensions of wholeheartedness and also half-heartedness. I'm too big. I have enough problems sitting. I'm, I can't also like make my sitting homage to all Buddhists. That's just too much. <laughs> okay, I hear you. And when you notice that you think that something's too much, that you're being asked up too much of, and you don't want to have, you don't welcome that. Number four, I reveal that I, that I only wanted to sit this much, not that much. I was willing to sit, but to make the sitting an offering to Buddha was too much for me to handle. No. I confess. And I'm sorry. And I also understand that past great bodhisattvas and Buddhas, they also had some resistance to being wholehearted. The, um, uh, in an, I kind of want to jump ahead to number nine, but I'm not going to. But I just want to tell you, I kind of want to. <laughs> because number nine is so clearly about intimate transmission. It's not so clear, maybe, that revealing my shortcomings in paying homage and making offerings and uh, praising Buddhists, it's not so clear, maybe, that confessing those shortcomings is part of being wholehearted. But just look at that one. Samantabhadra, the great bodhisattva, made, said... The great bodhisattva said that she was going to do those practices. I would a great bodhisattva have to vow to do the practice of confessing not being a great bodhisattva. <laughs> or I should say, being half-hearted. Can Samantabhadra be half-hearted? Can Samantabhadra have something to confess and repent? I don't know. Samantabhadra said that she was going to do those practices. I guess I guess she could say, <clears throat> okay, it's time for confession and repentance, and I confess I have nothing to confess. <laughs> I have no shortcomings. 
okay, I think I found one. <laughs> but if I think I have no shortcomings, which is suspect, <laughs> I can make that thought that I have no shortcomings an opportunity for the practice of confessing that. And also, I can make that thought a place for wholehearted sitting. I can make that thought a place for homage, offering, and praise. I can offer my own self-righteous, arrogant mind as a place for intimate transmission. And this practice of confession and repentance is addressing that. That when we have shortcomings, we can offer the shortcomings as a place for intimate transmission. Okay, the next one is praising. No, no, it's it's not praising. It's rejoicing. It's rejoicing. It's feeling joy in the goodness of the Buddhas and the goodness of all living beings. And the goodness of all living beings is the goodness of all Buddhas. Same goodness. There's only one goodness. There's not two. All the goodnesses are part of one goodness. That's the goodness. The intimate transmission. The Buddha mind. And rejoicing in that is a way to more thoroughly provide a place for the goodness. Rejoicing in the goodness helps there be a place for the goodness to manifest. And being embarrassed about half-heartedness, being embarrassed about laziness, is also another place for the in, to offer for intimate transmission. We are now on number five. There's five more to go, and I I want to go to number nine, but I'm not going <laughs> because I think this is already a lot. This first five. And although I really want to go to nine, I also want to stop and see how you're doing with the first five. Because there's five big ones coming. <laughs> five more ways to provide, to make our body and mind a place for wholehearted sitting. To make our body and mind a place for wholehearted sitting means to offer our body and mind as a place for Buddha mind, for intimate transmission. So these first five are offered to help us understand what it's like to offer our body and mind as a place, as an opportunity for, uh, what do you call it? For the great transaction. For the great, what's the word? Uh, So that the great transmission can transpire and transform and transact. So in, in this intimacy, it's really intimate, 
but there's lots of transactions going on in the intimacy. It's not like transaction out to someplace else. It's within the intimacy that the transaction is going on. And all of our experiences are actually in this transaction of everything with everything. So I guess I'm I'm stopping at number five. And... um, And welcoming any, what do you call it, any places for transaction.